Hey y'all, welcome back to Holler Back, Season 2, Episode 3. My name is Stacy Fugit. And my name is Billy Deverks, and today we have a very special guest with us, uh, Mr. Larry Cordell. He's a Kentucky Music Hall of Famer and award-winning songwriter. Uh, Larry, we're really glad to have you on here today, and uh, we was hoping that uh, you could introduce yourself, talk a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Well, all right, my name is Larry Cordell. And I am from Blaine, Kentucky. That's in the southern part of uh, Lawrence County, which is kind of up there against the Big Sandy River. Uh, the next county due south of me would be Johnson County, and the one due north of where I'm from originally would be Boyd County. So uh, geographically, that kind of tell you where I'm, I'm from. I'm from out in the middle of nowhere. But there was a uh, high school there, believe it or not, once upon a time in the 60s when I graduated from high school. And uh, now it's just Lawrence County High School, but there was actually a, at one time there was actually three high schools in Lawrence County, which is kind of hard to believe. There was one at Webbville, and there was one at Blaine, and there was one at Louisa. So anyway, that's where I'm from. Uh, coincidentally, Ricky Skaggs and I were raised about a mile apart. So uh, I'm older than Ricky by five years, so I've literally known him all my life. And, um, you know, I was raised on a little old farm down there. Uh, we, uh, we had a tobacco patch, and uh, we raised about everything we eat. We had 12, 15 head of cattle, a couple old workhorses. Uh, I wouldn't trade the way I was raised for anything. Um, I think I even knew that when I was a kid. I didn't like the work. I'm not going to lie about it. I, I was not meant to be a farmer. Um, my grandfather was a tenant farmer and later owned his own farms and, and managed farms for people in Ohio even when he was younger. But, uh, and that was something he loved to do. He loved that. He was also a carpenter. Uh, my uncle was a carpenter. My dad could kind of do anything. He worked in the bank at Blaine for many, many years. My mother was a rural route mail carrier and, uh, and a great mother and um, a homemaker as well. And um, that's kind of me. I, uh, I left home when I was about uh, right before I was 18, I guess. I went to school for a little while. Dad tried to send me to college, and um, I think I made it one semester, and I don't believe I passed anything. I might have. I went to school at Prestonsburg. I was more interested in being 35 miles away from home than I was going to school. So once that ended, I went to, look to Columbus, Ohio, lived with my grandmother, until I saw I was going to get drafted and I joined the Navy because I thought I might be able to find some sort of a trade that I would be good at. I had no earthly idea I was ever going to be in the music business. I loved it. I loved it since being a little child and I always fooled around with it, but I didn't understand that I could write songs until I was 25 or 26 years old. And um, I really had never earned a dime. Well, once or twice, I guess, playing what you would call semi-professionally before I came back from the Navy. 
And, you know, I had a little rock and roll band while I was going to school at Moorhead, and I just, I just fell in love, really, with performing. And uh, once that band was over, I, I, I discovered I could kind of write songs. And uh, luckily for me, as I said, Ricky and I were raised close together, and uh, he liked some of these early things that I was writing and uh, gave me a chance to come here and work for him. And uh, that gave me a foot in the door that I needed. So it's that's kind of about as much as I can put that in a little synopsis <laughs> about my early years. I moved here in 85, and I've been here ever since. I live in Hendersonville, Tennessee, which is just north of Nashville, about 25 miles. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to ask um, where you're residing at now. Um, Hendersonville, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, I've been here. Well, a lot of music people used to live out here, you know, Johnny Cash and Barbara Mandrell and Ricky, of course. And um, I think I knew people here. Uh, when I moved here, it's kind of like the first place I came to. And, and so I just moved here and I never did, uh, I never did leave town. Yeah. It's kind of growing up around me now, but uh, I live out close to the, I'm not, directly in the country but boy i'm really close to it so mm -hmm. uh, i enjoy that i don't i don't i wouldn't want to live right down in town right right yeah i saw um ricky in concert um last year he was at bonnaroo it's a music festival yeah it's down in south town yeah 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 um so i saw him with the grand Ole opry um and the old crow medicine show so um yeah yeah, they're really popular right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so how did you kind of realize that music was what you wanted your career to be? Well, I, I, um, when I was uh, came back home from the Navy, um, I had just talked myself into going back to college, honestly. And uh, I knew I could draw a GI Bill. And so I started school at Moorhead. But I still, you know, really resisted growing up as much as I possibly could because um, I just didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. So I kind of, you, you had to declare a major in those days. That was in the uh, early 70s. And um, I loved history, so I declared that as a major. But as time went on, I realized, well, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, I don't want to go to school longer. I don't want to go to law school. Wow. So it was either try to be a school teacher <laughs> You know, and I, I, knew, I just knew I didn't want to do that. So I changed uh, majors about halfway through and became an accounting major because I thought I could stay up there in East Kentucky and it would be something I could do. I gave no thought for the fact that I might hate it. And once I was about two semesters into it, I realized I hated it. But in those days, you could not change again, not and keep your GI Bill going. So, plus I had that old East Kentucky, okay, well, I can, I can do it. Uh, so I'll just finish. <laughs> so I did, I finished and got a degree in accounting and I moved up to Paintsville, Kentucky, which was 18, 19 miles away from where I was raised. And I, I tried to do that for a while. I, I'd got rid of most of my music things and I had bought a, a Martin guitar, and I really figured I wouldn't be fooling with music much anymore at that time.
But I had started trying to fool around and write songs. And about six months maybe goes by, and some of the boys I went to school with at Moorhead were just kind of get together over in Jackson, Kentucky, and rehearsing. And I started going over there. And shortly after that, we wound up having a band. That was the band I told you worked in Hazard, probably 77 or so around in there. And um, things just kind of evolved from there. I wrote Highway 40 Blues while I was doing that and several other things that um, Ricky was living in Lexington. So we saw one another all the time. And I, you know, I'd played him some of these things. And then in 1980, he produced a, a, what was going to be a record on me in Lexington. And um, luckily for me, nobody wanted to buy the record because I wasn't on the road. I wasn't working on the road. I'd quit the accounting business by that time and was back playing clubs six nights a week. But uh, I was not on the road, so there wasn't any way to for record companies to say, okay, well, we'll sign this, <laughs> you know, and this guy will sell enough of them to get our money back. So that, uh, that was sheer luck and God taking care of you because if someone would assign me, I would have likely have lost all the publishing on those songs and would not have been able to make the deal I was able to make with Ricky in 1984. So, you know, it's a rambling story. I know but that's, that's, it's about as much as I can scale it down for you. Oh, absolutely. Definitely interesting. Um, as someone who is not musically inclined, you know, it's, I'm always interested in knowing people's like moment, you know, that moment that's like, okay, I can do this and I can make a living off of this, you know? So, um, definitely well, I, story. I, I didn't know how much of, uh, I didn't know if I could be like a professional songwriter because I was still, you know, trying to have a foot in both worlds. I was trying to be a CPA and I was trying to, my heart was not in that at whatsoever. I mean, I had absolutely no, no white body should have to, get get up in the morning dreading to go to work if you do you're doing the wrong thing absolutely um because it's really not about how much money you can make in the at the end of the day it's whether you can stand to look at yourself anymore and mm -hmm. and i just uh, i still didn't know even as late as you know uh, that record for ricky was a big record in 83 and I, I saw that it, you know, there was, that was worth a pretty good bit of money. But I, I, at that time, I was making four or five hundred bucks a week just playing, you know. Mm -hmm. And that don't sound like a lot now, but that was a whole lot in, in the early 80s there. But I, I was afraid that once I got older, that would be, well, it would have been, that would have just been gone. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as an accomplished musician like Ricky and Keith Whitley and those guys were that I was raised around. They were just, they had a God's gift for that, that there's no amount of learning, no amount of teaching can, can be taught that. I think writing songs is too, because the earliest ones I wrote when it dawned on me, for some reason, I can make these things work out. I didn't really understand it. But some reason or another, I can make stories work out, you know, over a three or four minute period. 
So, you know, I needed a chance, and Ricky gave me that. So. Yeah, you say four or five hundred bucks a week ain't much, but me and Billy are college students. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and it was certainly a whole lot more than. Um, I mean, it wasn't a whole lot more than I was making, I guess, when I was in the accounting business, but it was. Um, it was certainly a lot more satisfying, you know. I mean, I I didn't uh, I didn't get up every night and 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 dread to go to the gig. I did not. I look forward to go, getting to work, you know, which I think to do your best in life, it's just something you got to do. If you can't look forward to it, you know, then, and I I know I know, and you all probably do too. I know all kinds of people that have hated what they had to do all their life. You know, I had done other things, so I I knew. I mean, I worked on farms. I'd worked in factories. Before I went in the Navy, I worked at Federal Glass Company. I mean, I had done other things, so I knew what the world was like if you had to get up and go to work for 30 years. I didn't feel like I was too good to. It was just the fact that, I don't know, that's just a way to be disgusted a lot, if you ask me, you know. So when I got the chance, what I'm trying to say is to be in the music business. I didn't have any kids. I was definitely going to take it. If it, if, if it went bust, the worst thing could happen is I'd have to move back home, and that would have been fine, too. I never worried about being able to make a living. I'd have been able to figure something out. Luckily for me, this worked out. It's it's definitely worked out. Um, I've always I've always liked hearing stories about breakthrough moments for artists. Uh, you've talked you've talked a lot about when you decided you just wanted to focus on music. You've talked a lot about your deal with uh, Ricky Skaggs. Uh, what but what do you consider your breakthrough moment as an artist and as a songwriter and a singer? Well, um, as a songwriter, it was most most definitely when Ricky asked me to move here. I mean, that was the moment I thought. Well, I already had a number one record with him, you know, Highway 40 Blues, but I still wasn't living there. I still wasn't what you would call an everyday professional songwriter. I didn't, like I told you a minute ago, I hardly knew how I came up with that stuff. It was a God thing, totally. I learned the craft of that after I moved here. So I was out on the road with Ricky, I think it was 1984. I was just had went with them. They was doing some shows with Dolly Parton and, and he had asked me if I wanted to move here, you know, and I thought about it just about as long as it took my heart to beat. I said, absolutely. I want to move there. You know, I didn't have any children. I would, had already bailed on the accounting business. The, the club work at, had it started scaling down then so I could see the handwriting on the wall for down the road. I mean, even making four or five hundred bucks a week was not going to happen, not in the long term. Club musicians were in for a long, hard winter. And uh, I could see that kind of coming. So I said, well, you know what, what, like make up songs? Or <laughs> He said, yeah. He said, you know, they'll pay you, they'll give you so much a week, which is an advance against future earnings. So you're really not getting a paycheck. I mean, you either produce something or you're out one of the two. And I had great publishers that he had hap uh, happened to, uh, well, I mean, Ricky was a, a, the type of guy who really, really, would have really scoped it out. So I knew I could trust what he told me. And he had made uh, a great deal with this company that Lawrence Welk owned. 
uh, the Welk Music Group. So they were honest and they believed in me. And when I moved here, I got to working with these guys that were so much better than me, all of them, for a creative job. I was in the best of situations because Jim Rushing was working there, uh, an absolute wonderful songwriter over the years. Carl Jackson was working there. Uh, Rory Burke was working there. Dickie Lee was working there. Bob McDill was working there. Yeah, every office you passed by when you went down the hall every day, there was some kind of great music coming out of it. So, you know, in the early days, I would go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> but you just work harder and you learn by being around those kind of people what it takes to, uh, to do that. And like I said, it wasn't like something I dreaded going doing. So I got up every day and went to work just like anybody else did. Uh, some days we got something that we was great. And some days we looked at one another all day and didn't get anything, you know. I didn't know anything about co-writing and all that stuff before I moved here. I just, how would I? <laughs> I didn't know anything about it, you know. So I found out that was something I liked. And uh, most of the rest of my career, has been built on that and having great teachers, you know, Larry Shell and all those guys I mentioned, you know, were, were great teachers. Yeah. They didn't sit down and say, Hey, you have to do this. But when you work with somebody and especially somebody you have a lot of respect for you, you find that rubbing off on you. You have your own things and those are added to you, you know, kind of like, well, you know, I wonder what he would do if he was sitting here or what she would do, you know, because there was a lot of girls I worked with, too, that were brilliant, just brilliant writers. Yeah, um, it's really good to surround yourself with those like-minded people that can progress yeah. further. Now, everybody, when I, when I moved here, especially, I mean, you know, now everything's so political and stuff. I mean, honestly, that was something that we never even, I don't even know. I mean, I guess I knew who the president was, but that was not on anybody's radar much. We were, we were creative animals. Totally. We were in there trying to, trying to do that, trying to outdo the other guy and trying our best to get on some of these records that was just a lifeblood of keeping a deal. And there was somebody at another publishing house that was doing the same thing as hard as they could do. So you were competing against the whole town. And, you know, these artists from Texas and stuff, I mean, they had their, at their disposal all those great writers out there. So you, it was definitely a minefield. Yeah. And you had a song all the way through till it got on somebody's record. It was a huge accomplishment, sense of accomplishment that sat down on you. I think that Creative Animal states it perfectly because you've written some great songs, Larry. Um, Black well, Diamond Strings, Highway 40 Blues, Murder on Music Road. Those are just samples of well, your songs. Thank you, Stacey. You know, I mean, uh, I've had the God-given gift that I didn't understand, like I say. And, uh, and I had all these other people that were so much better than me uh, that took me by the hand and, and helped me out, you know. And I, I'm proud of those songs. I really am. I'm, uh, I can't think of anything better than to wake up loving what you do, you know. And I've never lost that love for it. Yeah. I don't write as much, but, you know, 
I, a lot of guys that I worked with and gals are not really around anymore. They're kind of, they've kind of got into something else along the way. I never did. I never had another interest once I moved here other than playing music and, and writing songs, you know. Now I've become a performer more in the last 25 years probably because, um, well, I really needed to because the music was changing rapidly, even like when Murder on Music Row was written. That's been 20 years ago, if you can believe that. Uh, you all were just babies, uh, if you were even here when that I was, was born. <laughs> I started to say you all were just little when that was if you were even here. But uh, the music was really changing rapidly then, and we could see the kind of songs we wrote. And that's not hard to figure out from my catalog if you look through it. I mean, I'm, I come from storytellers and, uh, you know, and, and that's the kind of songs like I wrote. I wrote songs about everyday life and family things and, and funny things and stuff like that. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't try to stay on top of the charts, which, uh, other than the bluegrass world, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate there. I've been, especially the last 10 years, I mean, I've been really serious. XM Radio has helped us immensely because they had to put your name up there, you know, or they do put your name up there when you play your team. So that's, that's helped a lot. Because oh. for years, people would say, well, you know, we would have hired you guys, but we didn't know who you were. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you can't. You know, you can, most bluegrass people, I mean, it's harder to have big promotion teams and all that stuff. Right. It just is. It's so much self things uh, that you have to do. And I'm kind of a, I'm kind of lazy when it comes to being on the computer <laughs> and stuff. So, <laughs> Me and Billy are probably getting that way. We've been on the computer so much here recently with school and everything being online that <laughs> we definitely feel you there. Yeah, um, so much has been through Zoom. Been through yeah. I'm sorry I missed you, Billy. I was talking about Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Um, I just said I was agreeing with Stacy that so much is through Zoom and Canvas and just different online materials and it's it's different for me. And well, thank goodness you got it now, you know. Yeah, for sure. You don't have to hold up your whole life because of the pandemic. <laughs> you can at least finish school if you have to online. Right. Um, while we're in the the vein of songwriting we are also kind of curious um you know some songwriters have a certain way of writing their songs right so some go to a certain place some come up with them on the spot um some prefer writing them on a laptop many prefer paper and pencil so could you tell us a little bit about your preferred songwriting methods do you have a certain mindset you have to be in is there a special spot that you got to be in um spot no um you know you i mean i made it my business as i told you to get up and go to work just like i was going to any other job because um i got to noticing when i six months after i moved here well i was around people that had had 12 or 15 or 25 <laughs> number one records and i noticed they still worked they still came every day they probably didn't need the money but they had a standard they were trying to to hit. They had a mark they were trying to hit every day. And I thought, well, you know, if these guys, after all that, 
if these guys can come to work every day, well, that's what I need to do. In my heyday, I probably didn't write more than 25 or 30 songs a year, but I was in there trying to do that, trying to write songs. And when we got a group of songs together, when we got five or six that we thought were good enough, we'd go to the studio and record those things. And uh, that was another part of that, of that whole thing all uh, right there, you know, because the demos were about like records. Um, and I never really did quit performing. I mean, I always played either songwriter things or whatever, but you're asking specifically about songwriting, but, but I tried to go to work every day. I didn't have to be in any one place. I had offices for years. Uh, I can always tell when I'm in the, uh, when I'm in the mood or when the muse or whatever it is, is, is about to visit me, I'll start putting things in my cell phone. <laughs> now we got, we got these things, you know, you're talking about paper and pencil. Well, I mean, when I moved here, there was no other way but paper and pencil. Right. So I did that for a long time, but now I honestly prefer to use my laptop because I can just yank a word file up and in pencil and paper, you know, you always got all these little notes off to the side and all over everything, you know, trying to trying to come up with whatever your whatever your idea is, trying to bring the thing home. You always got little side notes and rhyme words and all that stuff. Uh, a laptop uh, or anything, your your iPad or whatever is a lot better option for me because even if you even if you're not using something. It's saved in there. You'd be amazed how many times you go back and look at that stuff and you look at these throwaway lines that you've got, that you've moved around because you're trying to get the tail right. You'd be amazed how many times you look at the line a totally different way and find out, oh, well, this part of that might work better up here. And I could take the back half of it and move it over here. So I love actually writing on the computer. Now I don't have these fancy programs like some of these pros do. They have Master Writer and all these things. I just yank up a Word file. Um, I lost a whole hard drive about, um, I guess it's been 10 years ago now, which worried me to death at the time because I was all the time. Back then, I had just not put as many things in my phone as I do now. Now I just pull up notes or something, you know, and put, whatever fragment of a line comes to me or whatever it is, I put it in there. If I ain't putting anything in here, it means I'm not in the mood to write songs. If I start, if I start putting things in my phone, it usually means I'm going to, I'm going to write something, you know? So I save these things back and when the moment's right, because um, I don't do what I once did. I don't go to work every day like that anymore. I've just got, now I'm having to try to manage my career as a, as a musician, a singer. That little record label is just me. So I'm the one that tends to that. And there is not somebody I can call and say, Hey, <laughs> I've got a, one publicist and she's, and she's really good, but she only does spot work for me, but I have to manage all that. It's a handful. It's, it's a handful. Anything you do, uh, and I say this, if anybody's watching, I don't know if they are or not, but um, 
anything you do that takes away from your creative time is robbing you blind because uh to be a creative person you really kind of need to put your eggs in that basket i didn't and i was just uh as luck would have it i guess god meant for it to turn out this way for me i don't know um but but really to do the best there's a lot of things you can get into in the music business but creatively speaking the way to do the very best at that is to focus on that thing that one thing at least until you see well okay this ain't working out for me maybe i should do something else you know uh, and I, I, I tell you, it's hard to do. It's, it's hard because so many things about the music business were interesting to me that I wanted to dabble around in nearly everything. But now that first seven, eight, nine years, I didn't think about nothing else hardly but writing songs. I played some. Yes, I did. I got out and played shows and stuff. But it wasn't like it is now where it's as much of my career as songwriting is. Yeah, we um, we actually met a few years ago whenever I was a sophomore in high school. Um, at that time, I'd only been playing guitar a couple of years um, after I got home from school and just in my free time. Uh, but you visited Mission Appalachia, and uh, we've we spoke a little. Stacy and I spoke a little bit about Mission Appalachia a few episodes back. Um, it's, it was a camp through Robson Scholars Program, and uh, when you came and spoke to us and we watched you play, that really motivated me to continue learning. Uh, as of now, over in the corner of my room, I've got a banjo and a mandolin. I've got two guitars. <laughs> what? You're like me. You're an instrument poor. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got um, one Fender tea bucket on my, on my bed, an Epiphone Les Paul. And, but but we'll, uh, we'll get off that and go back to the question. But... Um, I still I still play every once in a while. Me and my roommates all play, and uh, it's a great. I just great. Uh, I just I just wanted to ask what what motivated you to visit us, Eastern Kentucky kids at that camp? Was there a certain impact you wanted to have on us as first generation Eastern Kentucky college students? Well, at that time we were high school students going into college. Uh, was, was there a certain type of impact you wanted to have? Well, Jeff Spradlin called me, uh, you know, and Jeff had uh, went to school at Moorhead as well and was living there then, you know. And he called me and told me about the program, about the Robinson Scholars. And, um, hey, I'm from Eastern Kentucky, and I may never live there again, but that will always be where I'm from. I'm a native Appalachian. I'm a native Eastern Kentuckian, and I'm proud of it. I believe it gave me the backbone to survive this down here. And I just wanted, you know, if there was anything I could say or do for anybody that might be considering doing what I was doing for a living, hey, it's possible for you. Because I was way late getting to my career. So, you know, you should always kind of follow <laughs> your dreams. Uh, I was lucky I didn't have any children when I moved here, so I didn't have to say, well, I'd love to do it, but I can't. It was nobody but me and Wanda, and I decided, hey, if we starve out, we'll just, we'll just do something else. You know, I, but I wanted to come and, and tell you guys uh, 
it's possible for you. It's possible. Just follow whatever it is you want you want to do. Now I'll admit I had a leg up because of Ricky. I did. You know, there's no, there's absolutely no question about it. Uh, but I was so. By the time I even moved here, I was so sold out on just music that I would almost done anything. And you know, there's always people around you that will say, "Oh man, you can't make, you can't do, you can't make nothing doing that. What do you want to do that for? Why do you want to? Why don't you get in here and and you know do what you do what you said you was going to do and do you know? I'm sure my mother and dad probably thought I was crazy because I had I had that degree and stuff, and I just I could not make myself be interested in it. You know, I just couldn't. So, but they were behind me. They, if they ever thought that, that they never, they never said it one minute. And of course, Wanda, my wife had, had been in the music business local, uh, on a regional level for sure. So she was, she was behind it too. And uh, we did, we just came here, but I'm from East Kentucky and there's a certain stigma that goes with that. Maybe not as much now as it used to, but, but you know, it always used to make my mom bad, uh, mad because the way that Appalachians were portrayed on TV, they'd always find the worst part of, of, of us that they could find. And that's what they would throw up on TV and stuff. You know, well, we're not a bunch of dumb hillbillies. Mm-hmm. We can do other things. We can do a lot. We can do, I never felt like ever, I mean, you know, when I, when I, the first year I was away from home and in the Navy and stuff, I'd hear guys talk about what they majored in and what their area of, uh, was in high school and stuff. And I'm like, geez, I didn't even know they did stuff like that. But I never felt inferior to any of them. Right. And I was able to do anything they were able to do. So my old East Kentucky raising was, suited me just fine. I had great teachers. I learned a lot. I could have learned a lot more if I had stayed out of my own way and hadn't been so hard-headed. That's the reason I wanted to come see you guys. I wanted to say, hey, I'm from the same place you're from, and uh, whatever it is you want to do, I don't care what it is. Don't let somebody, don't let the stigma of being an Eastern Kentucky Appalachian stand in your way of you know, go on, go for it, which I don't think you all would have anyhow. I realize that I hadn't been there very long. Until I realized, well, you guys really had something on the ball. So, and I knew that. I mean, Jeff had told me you all were elite. So I was expecting it. I'm proud that I came and did that, that three or four years I did that because I, I met, I met you guys there. I met some other people there that I know have went on to do, do well in their life uh, at, to this point. So, that's it. That just that. I'm from the same part of the country you're from, and I have made a living at it. And you can too. You just got. You just got to follow your own heart and not not pay attention to all the naysayers, you know. For sure. And at that time, we were so impressionable um, that it really made a difference. So thank you for being there then, and then thank you for being here now again. And thank you, thank you for the comments as well. Um, for sure. Oh well, I mean, I, you're 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 welcome. I mean, I that's how I really feel. It's how I. I mean, I was raised. Look here, I'm the one that went off off the rails a few times, but it wasn't for lack of raising. I can tell you that. 
And uh, I mean, I'm sure if you're from New York City, you probably feel the same way about your raisin as I do mine. But I feel sorry sometimes, like for my daughter uh, and people like that that weren't raised like me. I've, I've tried to keep her around that and stuff till she'd know, well, this is where your dad came from and this is the stuff I did. But they never had to do that. Right. They never had to do anything. I mean, we were raised on a farm and we all pitched in. It's the way life was. It, it, it was not a, an awful thing. It was a great lesson in life of you can survive. You, you may have to do something you don't want to do for a while, but get in here, you know, and it'll be over with in a few minutes. So I, I love the way I was raised. I, lo I love East Kentucky. I still go all the time. Absolutely. Um we love East Kentucky here too. Um, and I think that your success in the music industry, you know, I think that your East Kentucky grit really plays into that. Um, so, and I think that's a great segue into our next questions. Um, like what were the biggest challenges for you entering the music industry as an Eastern Kentuckian? And like on the same hand, what are the biggest challenges, but also what opportunities did you get from being an Eastern Kentuckian? Well, the biggest one from the biggest one I got was Ricky, you know, me and him was raised together. But I mean, you know, I don't think I, I don't think being from East Kentucky had anything to do with. I don't believe I got any more opportunities or any other ones. I mean, Ricky gave me a chance to come here and work sink or swim. Mm -hmm. Come here and do something. If you can, if you can make if, if we can all make some money, well, maybe you can do this, you know. He believed in me, so I wanted to do that. So I did get that much, which I guess is <laughs> another way of putting that is that's everything. So Ricky was from East Kentucky too. So, and you know, and I had been raised around Keith. I'd known Keith a couple of years, at least before I left to go in the Navy. And so I've been around a lot of other musicians just because I'd been around Rick and, and his dad. Hobart's Gags, I mean, everybody in the world wanted to come there and play with him because he had that God gift. But now, as far as anything, any roadblocks or anything like that, I never felt any. Nashville is a place that is simply, um, the music business I was in, okay? I, I can't speak for it now because the actual commercial part of the, commercial country music business, I'm no longer in. I've not been in that since the last publishing deal I actually had was 2007. So I've actually not been down there an everyday songwriter like I once was since then. My career now is largely based on me. It, it's still all on me. I mean, you know, if I, don't, if I don't make a record that they'll play on the radio, well, I'm just not going to make any money. Um, my old things do kind of help uh, take care of me. But no, I never felt any limitations as far as being from East Kentucky. I never felt like there were any. There's a lot of Appalachians in, uh, in Music City. Uh, there's a lot of boys from Georgia. There's a lot of boys from Alabama, Mississippi, which is all part of the Appalachians still, you know. Um, there's all kinds of people from Kentucky. Um, if you just look at the road, 
Route 23 alone and just see the names that are on them signs as you pass them going up up 23 from Greenup to, well, I've been all the way completely over in Virginia. I mean, it's just astounding how many people lived along that road or, or the offshoots of that road, you know. And I, you, we didn't have a lot to do when we were kids. I mean, you didn't have TV cable. You didn't have all these things to do. So our entertainment was getting together and playing. And I feel like that that for a lot of the people that you see his names on that road, I think that's what happened. They, they loved music. They started playing music in church and they started singing and playing around at other people's homes and porches and stuff. And uh, some of them were brilliant musicians. They had a God's gift, you know. I feel like everybody that manages to figure out how to make this, I know, I don't just think it. I know for a fact, you know, it's something God intended for them to do. God has plans for us. He has plans for our life. And sure. uh, I could have got them out a lot sooner, I think. But on the other hand, everything happens when it's supposed to. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, what happens is what is meant to happen for you, and that's your path. Um, I, I find a sense of comfort in knowing that, and that there's a bigger reason um, for it all sometimes. Um, but building on the last couple of questions, did you have any specific Appalachian artists that inspired or motivated you before and even during your experiences early on in your career? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Carter Stanley and Ralph, my early, very earliest is influences. Um, well, aside from Mr. Bill Monroe, who wouldn't have been, I guess, an Appalachian, but he sure made a lot of that kind of music. Because um, he was kind of from over here in Western Kentucky, you know, but, um, oh Lord, yeah, Carter and Ralph Stanley, they, they were wonderful. I love their music, but I also love their, their songwriting, you know. Carter was especially a country writer. And, uh, you know, it just wound up fitting into what he and Ralph were doing. But Ralph also <laughs> was a great songwriter. I mean, people don't, people tend to think it was all Carter, but it wasn't, you know, Ralph's, if you just look through them catalogs, you'll see some, they were a huge influence on me early on. Uh, Hank Williams was a, who was technically an Appalachian too. Uh, and if you if you listen to any of that stuff, I mean, that's still the gold standard to me for country music. I mean, those songs are timeless. Oh, for they'll, sure. They'll never go away because they're about everyday things. They're, they're love songs or busted love songs. That ain't ever going to change. Mm -hmm. That ain't ever going to change, you know. And his gospel songs were great. And... Uh, and then, you know, later on, after I got to be a teenager, uh, uh, probably my greatest influence in life was Tom T. Hall. Once I started hearing them songs and realized, well, that guy's just from over here to Olive Hill. You know, I mean, uh, I knew those songs. I mean, that, that done something to my soul. Like, that was about people that I knew and saw every day. <laughs> Right. You know, uh, my song, Black Diamond Strings, is my Clayton Delaney. 
I mean, that's just the truth. It just is, you know. And uh, I don't, I, I can't think of anybody else that I thought, I mean, there's, there, for songwriters, it's really hard to pin down somebody and say, well, which was your favorite thing here? Sure. But uh, if I had to, if I had to get it down to just one, that's who it would be for me. It would be Tom T. Dolly Parton's songs, especially in her early years, you think about that stuff, you know, Jolene and, and, uh, nine to five. <laughs> well, I was thinking even earlier in that oh. colors and all that stuff, all that Appalachian stuff, sure. Tennessee mountain home and all that stuff. I mean, that, I know them songs, them songs speak to me. So the, these kind of people were huge influences on me. Uh, I love that sort of storytelling thing. Uh, I can't do it every day, but I love when I can. I love that. And that's where I think I got that from. Plus, my family was just, uh, you all don't know this because you're a lot, so much younger than me. But when I was a kid, I mean, in Appalachia, um, storytelling <laughs> was, a, was a pastime. Mm -hmm. You know, every family had their stories and ghost tales and stuff that they told, you know, and there was three or four great storytellers in my family. Uh, you know, my uncle was a great storyteller. My great grandfather was a, who lived to be into the 1970s was a great storyteller. So I kind of tie that up with being an Appalachian is, uh, is storytelling. There was no TV. We could get one channel when I was a little boy. We had a radio. And we listened to Kentucky Wildcats every time they was on. When we Absolutely. Could, when, we get, when we could get it to come in. Good. <laughs> yeah, big yeah. Back to the, the gold standard of country music. My dad loved country music. So I grew up listening to um, Merle, Hank. Well, Merle, too. I didn't mention Merle because that was later. But my Lord, right. what a song. What a common man songwriter. Yeah, History. absolutely. Gold standard, you know. And so yeah. when people ask me if I like country music, I'm like, do you mean country music now or like real country music? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah, remember. There is, there is quite a difference for sure. Uh, that was that was one of my biggest memories as a kid was uh, whenever I would go to my, did we just lose Stacy? We did lose Stacy. No, I'm just hooking my laptop up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll start back over. Uh, that's left in mind, so I'm pretty good shape. That was uh, one of my biggest memories growing up was going to my grandma's house. She had these massive speakers and uh, and a record player, and she'd play old bluegrass. Um, sometimes she'd put on the radio, listen to older country. And now today, um, my phone's full of Keith Whitley, Merle Haggard, Waylon Jennings, uh, Hank Williams Sr. Yeah, the real stuff, you know. I mean. I keep hoping it has a, a, another day, and I think it will. You know, I, I play now in a great country band. We play on well. We've we've not played since March, but we played uh, we play gospel on Sunday, and uh, that's a great band too. And some of the members cross over to my Monday night band. You know, they're just all session players. You know, just great musicians, every one of them. And that's we we do 
old things and some of our own things, but we mainly do old things, you know, because there's still a great crowd for it. It's just not a, the Nashville music scene, and, and rightfully so. I mean, they try to go for the younger. They, they always wanted it to be 27 and 28 down to 13 or 14. That, that's the real record buying market. And they always want, which was pop music when I was a kid, you know, that, that was the market they targeted all the time. But uh, my generation got it over you guys now. We had, as far as music goes, now I know everybody thinks that, but I mean, if you consider, I mean, I'm 70 years old, if you consider we had all that great Detroit music, all that great soul music was right in my childhood and youth all the first generation bluegrass guys were still were still alive and working uh, all the time um, all the first generation great country guys except for old Hank was still alive and and all them great songs were yet created in my lifetime and really all the way up through the 90s I mean there was a lot of that 90s music that was just 80s and 90s music it was just great songs you know and uh, we just had all these different things, all that great Southern rock music was yet to come, you know, and um, just stuff that I just loved, you know, in my life. And I still don't think anybody's done that again. I don't think there's been that many. It's a reason I believe that I like so many different kinds of things. And I do. I love a lot of different kinds of music. And I, I listen to a lot of different things. I've got three or four things now. We have digital radio in the car that I just listen to all the time. If I get tired of listening to bluegrass, I'll listen to classic country or... Yeah, I'm, I'm actually... lucky we have that. Uh, music that tells a story, especially in country music, bluegrass music, to me is, is what makes it what it is. Uh, well, in the that's something I really appreciate. I was a big blues fan too, so it's a... They always had stories I could relate to, you know. Yeah. And um, I've actually got a sticker, two stickers on my laptop, and one is Keith Whitley and one is Tyler Childers. And um, I was going to ask you um, about, a little bit about what you think about uh, the evolution of music coming out of Eastern Kentucky recently with some pretty good songwriters and storytellers such as uh, Chris Stapleton and Tyler Childers, Ian No, and others are they're, they're making some uh, strides yeah. in the in the music Sturgill industry. Sturgill Simpson too. You know. Sturgill Simpson too. Yeah. Uh, uh, I his, know. Um, of course, I, Chris and I worked for the same publishers in the in the early two thousands, and I and I wrote two or three things with Chris, and we didn't ring the bell. I don't guess, but he's a he's a great. I mean, we all knew it then. He's, he's a great talent, and uh, thank God he uh, he got a shot at it. You know, he didn't look like them, and he he was trying to be himself. Which, by the way, you know, that's that's what anybody should do. You should be yourself. If it works out, it works out. If it don't, then it just wasn't going to happen. No way. You know, because it, it just don't it just don't always work out. I mean, you can't. You can't chase around somebody's idea of you. You have to be whatever you are and hope somebody likes it. You know, I mean, I, I, 
I wouldn't have always said that to you, but, but with benefit of age, I'm able to now. I mean, you have to be you. And Chris knew it. Chris knew he had the, um, he knew he had the talent. He just needed a chance, you know. So when he busts out there on the CMA show with, uh, oh, what's his name? Boy band guy. I can't remember his name. I was it Justin Timberlake? Whenever Justin he sang with Justin Timberlake. Timberlake. Yeah. Another great singer, by the way. I love his singing. Uh, that uh, that really jerked him around by the seat of the britches, you know. I mean, you never know who's listening to your stuff out here. I don't care what genre it winds up being in. Now in this digital world, people are listening to you everywhere. You never know whose trigger you're pulling. And uh, Chris was obviously pulling a lot before the industry knew because they weren't exactly being bending over backwards to help him out. Now that wasn't because he was from Eastern Kentucky. It was just because he was, he was, he was, they would call it a rebel, but I don't. He was just being Chris and Tom's that way and Sturgill's that way. You know, I mean, they're just, they're just being themselves. Take it or leave it. You know, I've, I've been fortunate to get to do two or three things with Tyler and, uh, you know, we, we recorded Highway 40 Blues has been a new Spotify single, me and Tyler. And, uh, yeah, I had that song on repeat. For say like Tyler and Ricky and, and me. They, I was fortunate they asked me to be on it, too. I had that song on repeat for like two days. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that was totally Tyler's idea. I mean, I didn't have uh, – I'd played with him up in Louisville. He asked me to open some shows. I guess that was – 18 or 19 and then uh this year he asked me to play at uh, op uh open at the rhyming for him one of those rhyming nights and Ed ricky was there that night and so i don't know if he'd been thinking about it or whatever but just in a day or two they called and said hey we're going to record this so i uh, thank god for tyler hey man and tyler is a total original he's a total original that's He's seen a lot of things that I haven't seen, and he's reporting on it. And, dude, so is, so is Sturgill. Sturgill's <laughs> seen a part of the world over there that that's unique to him, and he's reporting on it. Plus, I just love these guys because the radio acts like they're some sort of outcast, but they made it anyway in your face. We don't need you. You know, I mean, they sell out Red Rocks and they sell out the Ryman Auditorium all these nights. Tyler and Sturgill had all this huge arena tour before the before the pandemic. You know, and they had to cancel it. But I mean, dude, they were killing it. Yeah, I was. Chris, I was at Chris one of their concerts. Too. Chris is too. Chris just does. I mean, he just does whatever. It just. I mean, when you can sing like that, his wife too is a great singer. You know? Yeah, they're just great That's that's what I was going to ask you about. Is how do you feel? Does it make you happy to see this ori this originality, um, this storytelling music coming from artists such as Childers and Sturgill and No and Stapleton? Is, is, oh, does it make you happy to see that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, these guys are from. Uh, and what's her name is uh, gal too. I love her writing too. That's from Inez. Uh, I know it as well as I know my own. 
she was in that little spinoff group from the uh, Miranda Lambert, and uh, she's my nest. I come up there and played some shows with her. Uh, oh, man, she they had this great old big uh, hit record called Hell on Heels. Uh, the Pistol Annies. Yeah, what's her name? Uh, um, God, she's a great songwriter. The Ashley Monroe? No, the other one. The other one, uh, Angelina Presley. Angelina Presley from Inez. I come up there and play. She, they got together one time and wanted me to come up there and play some songs for them. And I, her publisher had sent a tape around. I've still got it. It was on a cassette. And man, that girl can write some songs. <laughs> that girl is, is a monster songwriter. And uh, I, unfortunately, our lives have just kind of went this way. So I hadn't been able to keep up with her. But I do remember that big record they had, which I think all three of them wrote. I'm pretty sure they did. So there's a lot of people from, uh, there's another cat in there in, at Lawrence County that's a jazz player that's just a great musician too. Sorry kids, and the, their names escape me right now, but uh, just just there's some great musicians coming in and out of there and, and, and over in West Virginia too, you know, they're just some great musicians. And I think it's a, I think it's a traditional thing for Appalachians. You know, I really do. I think, I think what they have to say is important to, uh, to the rest of the world, whether they know it or not. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, it's a part of getting that narrative and pushing that narrative that, like you said, we're not just a bunch of dumb hillbillies, you know? And I think that, you know, speaking and, telling a story about Appalachia when you're from Appalachia, um, I think it holds a lot more weight than, you know. Well, just like Tyler using, I'm all yarn. I mean, who do you know that says yarn? I don't know nobody except Appalachian. <laughs> but you see how much everybody loves the doggone thing, you know? I mean, that's just being smart enough to say. For sure. Here's how we'd say that. You know, I, I just love, I love stuff like that. You know, I, I love a lot of, I really love all the Polish things. I, and I, all them boys and girls, I love, I love everything they do because they're just, they're really true to who they are. For you know? sure. And that, that, that just, to me, you just can't, I've kind of always been a kind of an <laughs> outsider when it comes to music. I kind of like, always like things around the fringes and, you know, I love bluegrass, and it never was big time. And I mean, it never was uh, as commercially as viable as as some other things. You know, Nashville had a way of trying to water everything down, but Mr. Monroe and Carter and Ralph and them just stuck to what they knew. Flat and Scrubs, they just stuck to what they knew and made a living in spite of them. You know, <laughs> yeah, they, good old they, these guys are doing it too. They're doing it. They're they're making good livings as nearly as I can tell without the benefit of commercial radio. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody that I introduce to, I'm not saying that I introduce a ton of people to Tyler Childers, but recently, <laughs> um, I, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying by any means. Um, he's obviously very famous. Um, but people who don't usually like country music at all. Um, I don't you know, know because people can see through to what the real truth of things are exactly they can tell when something's made up and when it's 
when it's the real deal. I don't even know how we know, but we just do. We know when yeah. something's like Oh, I, I agree 100%. That's something I was going to mention earlier. It's, it's you, you don't even have to know these artists to, to be able to listen to their music and tell that it's authentic and that it's genuine. Yeah, and you can tell how smart they are. I mean, you can you can tell their intelligence through the these stories they're telling. You can tell their intelligence. They're viewing this from an from another place and reporting. I I don't know. I can't say enough, but I'm sure there's a lot that we've left out. You know, too that I don't know. Uh, but gosh, I stay on this computer so much. Sometimes I sit on this thing little. If you ever start looking, especially at music late at night, you know, you just fall through these holes and next thing you know, you've been on there three or four hours. It's oh, crazy. That's happened to me the past couple of days. My roommates got me into trading and buying guitars and you, you look down and it feels like five minutes later, it's two hours later. Yeah, I call it falling through a hole. <laughs> we'll start looking at an old blues thing. It's what I'll do. You look at some old blues thing, and the next thing you know, it took you to this guy. The next thing you know, it took you to this guy. And you're trying to get back to the very root of it. The next thing you know, you spent three hours. And you're still listening to offshoots of it, or, you know, it's, it's just great. Yeah. I uh, wish we had it when I was a kid. You know, well, in my house growing up, we had dial-up, so, uh, and I have six older brothers, so they were always using the computer, and, you know, I really never had an interest in it, so I grew up a lot um, doing outdoorsy stuff, but, yeah, I think that this next generation of kids that are growing up with that technology at their fingertips, I think, I think they're going to be maybe too smart for their own good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they will, they will be. They'll be. They'll be brilliant. um i know earlier billy was talking about the instruments in his room um so we want to talk a little bit about your favorite instruments how many do you have um what are your favorites well i've got more than i can play (laughs) two hands just sitting around here that's that's one of my old martins that's a that's a 19 59 D28. That's a, let's see here, if I can get around here, you can see it. That's a, that's a 1953 D28. Um, I want a D28 so bad. I love these guitars, but I can't hardly play them. This right here is a, um, this is the first guitar I ever bought myself. It's a Gibson B25. Uh, I bought it in Columbus, Ohio when I was 18 years old. Um, those are kind of, I can't hardly play the, the these Martins anymore. My hand's been, really it's been crippled since I was a kid. Uh, I had a treetop breakout with me when I was nine years old and it messed this hand up. So that is one thing being from Eastern Kentucky, if I'd been from someplace else, they'd have probably fixed it correctly, but it made it so my hand won't turn over. So the guy that made me this little guitar that I mainly use all the time now, this little Blue Ridge guitar, uh, which is off at the 12th fret. Nothing will ever fix it till I can play like other people because my hand won't turn over. But this made it a little bit more possible because it's shorter. The closer my hand gets to my body, the closer I can come to turning it over. But up here, it won't turn over at all. 
It just, I have to make things sideways and, and it makes it difficult for me, which it, which is why God fixed it to like a right song. Cause he could already see I wasn't going to be much of a guitar player. <laughs> so I ain't mad at him. I'm, that's, that's fine. With you me. found a way around it. So actually really, this is kind of my first guitar now. Yeah. Uh, David Blakeney and the guys out there at Blue Ridge Company at Sega, they, they were down here at um, IBMA when it was still in Nashville. And um, they just had an open booth. And I walked up there one day and I told him, I said, um, I knew he didn't know me at all. I said, but you know, I have such a hard time. So I took one of his dreadnought guitars and, and he's looking at me how I have to hold it so awkwardly and stuff. And he said, what, what's going on? And I said, well, I was telling him what I told you. My hand was this way. And I said, what I would really love to do if you could do it is make me a triple O that was off the 12th fret, but had a small neck on it. And he said, uh, oh man, he said, I can't. I'd never be able to make anything sound like anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of disappointed. But then a year went by maybe, and one day he sent me the neck of this guitar on a on the computer and said, Would, what do you think about that? Would you like something like that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy crap, of course. <laughs> I love that, you know. So uh, I still didn't know. He still didn't say I'm going to do it. But maybe a year beyond that, I came home from dad's. My dad was still alive. So it's been 12, 12 13 years ago, I guess. And uh, this thing was sitting on the porch in a big box. And when I took it out and tuned it uh to my surprise it really had a big voice yeah so I've, been, I've been playing it ever since uh, because i can make i can make an f and like this and make it make kind of make an e i still have to use uh, two fingers to hold one string down in a couple of cases but it, it's really helped me a whole lot and uh so i really thank david and those guys out there for they made it and gave it to me, and it's a one-off. There's not any more like this one. So it's a unique little guitar, and it's really extended my career because I really had gotten to the point. I mean, I was just thinking I was going to have to entirely quit playing because I just couldn't hold the strings down, and they're, too, they're just too big for my limited reach to work out. But I love these guitars. Carl Jackson was down here, I don't know, about two weeks ago one night, and his dad's one got me this 53, and I never get to hear it from that side, so he's such a great guitar player. He and I were sitting down here in the living room playing, and just, you know, just they're, they're great guitars. They really are. They're, and I told my daughter when, I'm, when I check out of here, if, you don't, if you're not going to play it or you don't have kids that are going to play it, Make sure you get rid of these guitars and give them to some musician because guitars don't belong under beds. They belong to be played. That's what they're made for. And, um, and I mean that. I do. You know, it's, uh, I don't get to play them much. I get them out here every once in a while when I get nervy. And I mainly play this guitar and this little B25 here. And, uh, you know, they're... It's got a regular 14 fret neck on it, but it's small, you know, so I can kind of cheat around on it like I do these other. <laughs> I've got a Fender Stratocaster. 
I've got an Epiphone acoustic bass. I've got a mandolin that I can hardly play. I can play some chords on it, but I'm not much of a, you know, I never was really a whole lot interested in other things. I've got my great-grandfather's old fiddle that uh, I wouldn't take anything for. Um, not because it's worth anything, but I had Fred Carpenter to go go through it and fix it again. And, and uh, it reminds me of when I was a kid. So all these instruments now are getting old because I'm getting old. So it is what it is. Um, I know you mentioned when we spoke on the phone earlier that you might be interested in playing some songs. Uh, oh, well, if you still want to, we'd love to hear it. Okay. What do you want to hear? Uh, can, can we do a request? Me? Wait, are you saying we could, we could request a song? I'll play it if I know it. All right. How about Highway 40 Blues? All right. I'll play it <laughs> Billy is a happy man. <laughs> so I wrote this song in um, I think it was probably 1976, so it might have been 77. Somewhere I've got uh, no, it was 76 I know because I've got a, uh, a thing over here that tells me what year it was. It was one of those years I was in the accounting business. I was uh, living at Thelma. Y'all know where Thelma, Kentucky's at? I believe that I've heard of it, but I'm not real sure. Geography ain't my strong suit, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's gone like if you left Paintsville and went 40, like you was going to Inez, you'd pass Thelma out there. It used to be, you might not even be there anymore, but there used to be a post office out there. Highway 40 Blues I've walked holes in both my shoes Counted the days since I've been gone I'd love to see the lights of home Waste of time and money too Squandered youth and search the truth But in the end I get to lose Lord above, I paid my dues. I got them Highway 40 Blues. The highway she called when I was young. And told me lies of things to come. Fame and fortune lies ahead. That's what the billboard lights it said. Shattered dreams, my mind is numb. My money's gone, stick out my thumb. My eyes are filled with bitter tears. Lord, I ain't been home years. Got them highway 40 blues. You know, I've rambled all around. Like a rolling stone from town to town I met pretty girls I'd have to say But none of them can make me stay I played the music halls and bars 
had fancy clothes and big fine cars. Things a country boy can't use. Dixieland to show his shoes. Got them highway party blues. Well, I wrote that when I lived out there on Highway 40, so luckily for me, most people thought it was Interstate 40, so that made it a lot bigger <laughs> thing to see. They didn't know about old Highway 40 that I lived on out there, so. <laughs> it's okay, we won't tell them. We can cut this part out. <laughs> well, I tell it now all the time, but. <laughs> never even entered my mind when I wrote it, to be honest with you, that people might think it was Interstate 40. So I don't know what I thought. I guess is I thought everybody knew where Thelma was. What else, Bill? Anything else you want to hear? All right, I've got one more request for myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, Black Diamond Strings. That's what I was going to request. I love that song. Okay. I can't play it much. It's hard for me to. I'll tell you what Tom T. Hall told me about this song. I had a book that Tom T. wrote called How I Write Songs. And uh, I'd had it since the 70s. And, you know, after I got to know Tom T. and everything, I'd, I'd always meant to get him to sign it. And uh, every time I'd be around where he was at, of course, I wouldn't have the book. So the IBMA did a retirement party for Dan Hayes when he retired as the director. And just as I was going out the door, I was already in the car, actually. I thought, Tom T and Dixie are going to be at that thing. I know because they love Dan like we all did. I said, I'm going to get that book and see if I can get him to sign it. So when I took the book down there, of course, he had a big crowd around him, and I kind of standing over, I dreading to even, this ain't been that long ago either. <laughs> but I went over to him and I said, uh, I said, Tom, I said, uh, man, I wonder if you'd sign this book. I said, I can't tell you what it meant to me when I was trying to figure out if I could write songs or not. And uh, he said, well, I tell you, you know how he talks, he said, well, I tell you, I, I heard this song, Black Diamond Strings, on the radio. And he said, I kept, every time it seemed like I was in the car or out running around out in the studio or something, I hear this song, Black Diamond Strings. He said, finally, I got that aggravated. I said, that SOB has been reading my book. So he signed it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he told me. <laughs> so that meant a lot to me, you know. I said, well, there's your proof. I have been reading your book. My first guitar was a loner An old law friend my cousin let me keep Back when I was learning how to play Like the boys in Tennessee I'd sit up every night and pick it Till my fingers turned green And I learned how to make her talk 
on them black dime strings. Well, my daddy showed me three chords, but Jimmy still taught me how to play. And he showed me the G run I'm still using today. I thought it surely must be magic. The way he made me ring. But he said it ain't no secret, son. Why? It's these black dime strings. Well, I don't know if they still make them. Back then they were the best. And a good time didn't cost much. Two ninety-five cents. Back before I left Faye to chase my hillbilly dreams. All it took to make me happy was an old guitar and black. Chase my hillbilly dreams. All it took to make me happy was an old guitar and black diamond string. Well, back before I left Faye, to chase my make it big dreams. All it took to make me happy was this old box and black diamond string. There you go. Thank you so much, Larry. That sounded awesome and made me want even more to be able to sing and play instruments. But unfortunately, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. So. Well, we need people to listen to. That's <laughs> that is. I'll leave the singing and the the instrument playing to you and Billy. <laughs> well, I got people I'd a lot rather hear than me. So we're we're even on that. I like to. I've got a lot of heroes that I love to hear sing and play. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much um, for being a guest on the show. We really appreciate it. And honestly, our um, director, who is our um, supervisor over this podcast, she's the director of the Appalachian Center at University of Kentucky. Um, she 
this is the pinnacle for us. We've made it big time <laughs> to you, Larry Cordell. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to do it. I'm, I'm really happy that you all asked me to. And uh, I hope your show just does all that you want it. Hopefully. You, you know, I appreciate I really that. I hope it does because I've, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you guys. You've, you've been great listeners and you ask great questions. So. Well, thank you very much. We do appreciate that. Um, but, you know, before we close it out, we want to give you a chance to talk about any projects that you have, you know, plug any self-promotion, anything fun that maybe we might have missed or you'd just like to add. Well, let's see. Um, I just checked off a bucket list box. I got to sing uh, with Dolly Parton on a thing that um, – my buddy Jerry Sally was going to have on his record label, Billy Blue Records. Uh, Dolly, I, uh, they had a recording of In the Sweet By and By. And uh, Jerry got myself and uh, Carl Jackson and Bradley Walker and himself to do the back vocals on it. So I was really pleased that uh, uh, Dolly wasn't there when I did it, but I was really pleased that I got to do it and uh, mm-hmm. hear her great singing and stuff. I don't know her real well, but uh, in case she ever hears this, Dolly, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, I have a new CD coming out. Um, the tentative date uh, is November the 20th. It's called Where the Trees Know My Name. Gotcha. And um, that's a very Appalachian-y theme song right there that I wrote with uh, Leslie Satcher. And uh, she's from Texas, but uh, she's from East Texas, and uh, and we were able to get on the same page with it. So I've I'm, uh, I've had two number ones off this album, uh, that breaking on the Jimmy Ridge thing, which was uh, an old thing. A lot of people around Lawrence County used to say it was from out in the part of the county I was from when the clouds would come from a certain direction. If they broke apart, coming across this ridge line. The old men would say, oh, I ain't going to be no rain in that. It's breaking on the Jimmy Ridge back there, you know. So that's where that song came from. And the Sailor's Regret thing was also number one that I got from Johnny Williams. And, of course, my current single is Cherokee Fiddle, the old Michael Martin Murphy thing that uh, made just a great bluegrass song. <laughs> so it's doing well, too. We're, we're, we're tickled about that. But all three of those are on this new CD call where the trees know my name and hopefully we will make that deadline november the 20th yeah um is it going to be available on all streaming platforms or it'll is there- be on all streaming platforms and i doubt you're able to find it hope maybe you might be able to find it by november the 20th usually it takes usually there's a two or three week lag there um i don't know exactly because i use cd baby out in oregon and they aggregate for all the streaming services, mm-hmm. any, any, nearly anything you can name. So it will be available through all that. And of course I'll have physical copies, which most people don't want anymore, but I always go to the trouble of making them. And uh, I always like to have something in my hand. Now. Uh, I go to a lot of, jump through a lot of hoops for these records. I always put the song Genesis and, um, wherever the idea, what the germ of that was, what we were thinking about at that time. And uh, I do that because when I was a kid, 
you couldn't read a lot about. They didn't fool with that. So when I first started noticing that somebody had gone to the trouble of saying who the songwriter was and other things, just about the band or the musicians, I would read every scrap of that. I don't know why it was important to me. It was like a baseball statistic. It was just something I wanted to know about, you know. So I still jump through all them hoops for fans. And, uh, I'll, you know, a lot of people do appreciate it. They'll say, hey, man, I take, appreciate you taking the time to write that down here. So I'm still doing that. A lot of people are just releasing things online, but I'm making records. Well, that's awesome. And where can they purchase a physical copy? Well, you could, you could, uh, of course, we always got them at shows. Uh, right. I don't know what 2021 is going to be. Hopefully, it'll be better than 2020 because everything yeah. we had got canned, you know. Uh. But uh, they'll be available at shows. They'll be able available at my online store, just larrycordle.com. You'll be able to buy it at cdbaby.com, uh, Amazon. Gotcha. Any of the usual. Okay. If you just want tracks or if you just want singles are available now. They're available to CD Baby. So. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, and my website is LarryCordle.com. Okay. Well, uh, Larry, uh, we want to thank you for being a guest on the show. Really appreciate yeah. it. I know I was extremely excited. I've been telling everybody that I'm friends with for the past week that I was getting to, uh, me and Stacy were going to be co-hosts of a podcast episode with you as a guest. Well, you're welcome. I hope uh, I hope it was what you needed it to wanted it to be because it uh, was. Oh yeah, it was perfect. I, I love talking about this stuff. It's uh, I tell people a lot though. You know, to be honest with you, people always want to hear the romantic view of things. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I came and lived in my car a month or six months and painted everybody's house in Brentwood. Well, that didn't happen to me, you know. And most of the things. Uh, I'll say this in closing. I told another songwriter this the other day. I said, you know, if I was telling the truth, I think most of the things we came up with was because we was working hard. We were working every day. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nearly as glamorous as it's made out to be when you read some of these stories about it. Uh, we were working and hoping we could get on somebody's record. And uh, luckily for me, I was able to quite a bit. Well, uh, we want to thank you again for being get, uh, being a guest, and uh, we want to thank our listeners out there for tuning in. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I'm Billy. And I'm Stacy. And we'll holler at you later. <laughs>